0: To the comfort monk podcast
1: today on the line i've got john Fur from pow pow sound and he just spoke to uh neil gust on our behalf neil gust of heat miser and number two how did that conversation go john hey eddie uh it went really well i think um uh, neil's super friendly super open guy and writes some really catchy songs And I also appreciated a couple of things. Um, He and I kind of both went away from music for a while and then came back to it. So we kind of had a little bit of connection in that. Um, But also I I appreciated his honesty where he described not only the things that he loved about uh, playing in those bands, but also a little bit about the things that were tough. Um, And then one thing that was pretty cool is he sent me um, some 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 songs that i've uh, dropped in here throughout the discussion to sort of give a little um context to uh you know what we're talking about that sounds awesome john i'm really looking forward to hearing that yeah let's get into it
0: all right enjoy you walk down city stars like you're just coming off of the ice you're by the passing
1: um is is, uh been there for a while based out of there with with music or uh so are you originally from portland though
2: uh no i grew up in the midwest in iowa and then i went after high school i went to college in massachusetts and and then from when i finished college i moved to portland in
1: 1991. and that move was driven by music Yes. What got you into uh, the Portland as the as the landing place as opposed to an Athens or a Austin?
2: Well, that was Elliot. Um, Elliot was one of the first people I met in college. Yeah, and uh, we we started playing music together like the first week of college, and then um, we're roommates. Um, through most of school and played in a band there, a couple bands. And um, at the summer before our last year, we decided that we wanted to um, try being in a band together after college because neither of us really wanted to do what we were studying. Right. I was studying American history, and Elliot was studying law. Hmm. Neither of us wanted to do that. So um, we thought about going to Chicago. We had no idea what we were doing. And then he said, well, why don't we just go to Portland? Because I know this guy who's a really good drummer, Tony Flash. Right, Tony, yeah. And Elliot had gone to high school with Tony and played in bands with him there. And so we asked him if he was interested, and he said, yeah. So we just decided to move to Portland after school. So we packed up our car and
1: drove home. And started living in Portland. That's great. Did Elliot play with Tony previously or just kind of knew his reputation as being a? Oh, well, he
2: played with him. They were, they they played all through high school together. Uh, okay. They were both really serious recording nerds. Right. Super into it, and and then Tony became, uh, you know, an engineer and a producer. Besides a drummer, so he made a living off it.
1: Yes, and and he still does that. Is that correct?
2: No, he doesn't do it anymore. Oh, okay. His 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 hearing. He he feels like he lost too much of his hearing, and it and it, it bothers him to have to listen to. Music too loud.
1: That's too bad. Do you keep up with Tony?
2: A little bit. Um, We occasionally have... uh, I just talked to him because he was working with a band called Sunset Valley in Portland. And he was making a video for them. And that's what I do as my day job. I'm a video editor. Okay. And so he just wanted some... He wanted... Me to look at what he was made, doing. So when was the last time we talked to him?
1: Um, so was Tony having uh started in the recording and and, and engineering in, in Portland, uh, when you when you guys arrived out there, were you already kind of plugged in to automatically get going in the scene?
2: No, because what Tony was in, Tony played in a band called Nero's Rome, and they were sort of uh, like I don't, I never saw them. And I actually, I don't know if I've ever heard them. So oh. but I think they, they were sort of um, just in an, uh, the era before like the grunge thing yes. really over the Pacific Northwest. So when we came along we just started making friends and found a place to practice in these, in this, um, this house where a bunch of people that we've met lived and they were renting out their basement to make the rent cheaper. Mm. And it turned out that like Pond was recorded, was rehearsing there and oh, I'm trying to remember. suddenly having to make all new friends. It was a tough transition, actually, because we went from being in Massachusetts with tons of friends and, you know, finishing college. It was really exciting to finish and then moving to Portland and suddenly, oh my God, we have to start all over.
1: <laughs> what was the cost of living like back then in Portland?
2: Um, It was... A lot cheaper than it is now, but right. <laughs> it was, um, when we arrived, they people our age were already starting to complain about it being expensive. But it wasn't expensive. It was like we ended up getting a house um, for four people for eight hundred dollars. Okay. So that was two hundred bucks each rent, and we rehearsed in the basement.
1: Okay. Well, that well. You're saving money. You don't have to rent a practice space as well. Right, right. right. Yeah, but uh, yeah, compared to where we were at that time, that's about twice. About twice? Yeah. Yeah,
2: Portland, uh, I mean, it. I think they're like Sean Krogan and Dan Wright, who they, they were, they would talk about rent being like $125. Hmm. And, uh, in 1991, it wasn't like and by the time I left, um, rent was it was still pretty cheap compared to New York. My God, yeah. But it was. I mean, what was what was interesting about being in Portland and being broke and a musician is that there was a whole uh, like ecosystem, and you know, playing in a band was its own currency. So, like our friends either worked in coffee shops or copy shops mm-hmm. or bartenders. So I never paid for a cup of coffee or a beer. Right. Or,
1: or flyers,
2: right? Like it's a, uh, you know, everything, all that stuff was just this barter system and we got people in the shows and got on guest lists and drank for free. And so you could get by, and it was really fun, but we were broke.
1: Was there kind of a sound in Portland, or were the bands kind of uh, varied? And if they were varied, did they still support each other? It was
2: varied, and they did support each other, but it was competitive. Okay, I mean, there was a lot of support, but also competition. Mm-hmm. I don't. It was fun to go see other people's bands. But, you know, when we played with them, we didn't want to suck compared to them. So Right. Yeah.
1: Now, I did read a little bit about the Monday night uh, local nights. I forget mm-hmm. the club name. So the clubs
2: that we played in Portland would have been like Satyricon and the X-Ray Cafe
1: and La Luna. That one. La Luna. La- okay. Yes. Yeah, I, I did read that there was uh, kind of a healthy local night with a low cover charge and multi-band. So basically, everybody's friends all came out.
2: Right. So La Luna, that they took over a, pl- uh, a space that used to be—I think it was the Pine Street Theater—before it was La Luna, and there was a uh, the Pine Street Theater closed, and there was this. um, uh, what, what are they a promoter called monk um and those guys decided to open their own club so they could put on their own shows in their own club and so they started la luna and they had the brilliant idea of just i mean it was sort of the, just the exactly the right time when with bands like Sprinkler and Hazel and Pond all got signed to Sub Pop. Right when Sub Pop was the shit,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and um, they they put on these uh, like these shows that only cost a dollar to get in, and like a thousand people would come. It was incredible. Giant audience and a thousand people, and you
1: got to keep the door. So it was great. That sounds awesome. Um, so I guess H- Heatmiser, I guess, uh, got the uh, mileage under the belt, got the experience playing in front of these bigger crowds.
2: Well, um, no, Heatmiser was never one of the bigger, never really were. Um, it didn't feel like it, but uh, I think in retrospect it seems like we were because because of what elliot went on to do mm-hmm. and and because we got signed to a major but that kind of was over before it began But
1: so. bef- before the major though you did uh, release other records that tony produced right
2: um yeah that tony and
1: and or engineered i guess
2: steve,
1: steve hanford
2: who's the drummer in poison idea he, um he went by the name Fee Slayer hippie, and he actually was the producer, okay,
1: the first two beat miser records. Um, but were those released on indie labels or,
2: they were uncle? On here,
1: which is a punk rock label
2: from California, who put out like suicidal tendencies and circle jerks and oh, right, okay. Yes. which was a big Portland band. And uh, thin white rope
1: and yep. um, lots of bands flop from Seattle so touring back then mm-hmm. um, did you make it much beyond West Coast did you ever come out this way
2: yeah we um, we did three national tours I think um, one was, so three, three or four, um, but one of them was so poorly booked that we just bailed, came mm-hmm. home, um, which was really, really disappointing. But um, I mean, you might know what those are like, uh, where you're, you're just it's a huge amount of effort to go on tour. And if you're going to clubs and nothing's been done and literally nobody is in the club. Yes. Nobody.
1: Yes. Yes.
2: Nobody is in the club and nobody's coming to the club. So there's a little bit of mix up between Heatmiser and number two Tour. So um, I don't really,
1: I'm not sure. Elliot with solo. While still Heat Miser was happening. Oh, yeah. Okay. So uh, the major label signing of Heat Miser happened.
2: Right. So the, there, was, um, there was a long preamble to signing with uh, Virgin. And in that time, um, Elliot became quite prominent as a solo artist mm-hmm. and um he began to get you know he was worried about what signing to a major label with his band would do to his solo his solo situation mm-hmm. um and we all understood that it was cool but we had worked long and hard and he he wanted to do it too he just had he just was of two minds about it. So when we finally did sign, it was kind of clear that this, it was probably just gonna be one more record and it was unspoken, Yeah, um, but we got to do it the way, exactly the way we wanted to. And we were excited to do that, which was we were taking all of the money that we got and buying our own gear and renting a house in Portland Building our own studio, and we were just going to go
1: in there and work. Yeah, that sounds great. And and so, you you also uh, became involved with the the engineering side. Is that correct?
2: Well, I had to. I had to learn because Elliot would go off on tour, and Tony would be recording other bands, and I, had, you know, I had to work on the record. So I would go to this house and try and figure out all this gear. By myself, Tony would give me sort of. He would give me really basic settings on like compressors and things like that, and I had learned how to set up the mics and everything and press record. <laughs> you know, is
1: it a digital-based studio like Avids or? Well, we had a
2: we had an analog eight-track, but we also had these horrible. They were like DAT machines that they were like eight-track. Yeah. DAT that you stacked up and they, they'd slave off of yes. one, but they were horrible because they would if once you got into really recording with them and you were oh, doing overdubs over and, over and over and over and over and over again they would develop um, these they would start to glitch out yeah. and they would, they would um, you would get these snats in that would be baked into the recording all of a sudden. Mm. You, had to, um, you had to have them taken out with a computer. This is just the very beginning of, for us, you know, using computers at all. Right. So um, we used a, a, a digital technology that is now totally obsolete. Right.
1: <laughs> it was a piece it,
2: of shit. But it, it, uh, it ended up
1: sounding good. But you you never had the two inch 24 track at the Portland house.
2: No, 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 no.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I've been in, I've I've used those as well, and they start lagging and they won't catch up. And and then sometimes you have to reboot them because the time code never can find it. And, okay.
2: Yeah, like really bad news stuff, like horrible. (laughs) But, but, um, but that was only when once we started really using them putting a heavy burden on them if you're just kind of doodling around and not really taxing the machines they, they were it was great yeah so i would demo like i just demoed tons of stuff and never had a problem until we started trying to track a record
1: uh before we move right into number two um songwriting wise uh were you and elliot and heat miser both kind of bringing your own songs in yeah. or did you collab or the much collaboration or just kind of like this is a this is a neil song this elliot's song
2: it was so all through college we um like he would show me one of his songs i would show him one of my songs and then After doing that for a while, we would start trying to write parts for each other's songs. And on the first T-Mizer record, there's a lot of that where we wrote other, you know, um, different parts where the music by chord progressions and maybe a a chorus or a verse or something was written by the other person, but usually not. Melodies or
1: lyrics? It's mostly just like the guitar music. parts. Yeah, guitar yeah. parts. The and first then, rec- the first records to me sounds different than the 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 uh, others. I guess it's just early. Yeah, so
2: a lot changed. <laughs> I mean, once we made a record, it was kind of like, "Oh, that's what we sound like." Like it, <laughs> it was really a weird. Experience. It was was really exciting. Um, And we were really single minded about the way to do it. And then once we did it and heard it back, and then saw sort of what happened when it went out into the world, we were like, let's do something else. Yeah. So we immediately started doing something else. And It, you know, it led to My City Sons, which is way more about, like, trying to craft songs and less about this blistering energy. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I like both. I like blistering energy
1: and song craft. And you can hear that on number two records. Uh, It's not quite Whiplash. But there are high energy songs, and then and then some that are are way more stripped back and acoustic based. Sounds like yeah. Um, so when you started coming up with the with the plan for number two, did you have any other things that you wanted to change about? No, the writing was... or the sound, or just kind of keep doing your ideas. Well, so
2: miser well just kind of it just sort of trailed off. It never really, there was an official end, but it was only like, it was like a year and a half after, of just kind of a vague sense of it being over. Mm -hmm. And in in that time, I just kept writing songs and was recording stuff. And, um, so I, uh, I think I don't, I don't know. I just somehow hooked up with Paul, who's the drummer in Number Two, and then um, I think Janet Weiss was like, "You should you should play with Gilly, Gilly Hanner from Calamity Jane," and she was in a band called Semi Sweet at the time, I think. And so we started playing together, and it it sounded cool felt good.
1: Was always a trio?
2: Yeah. And and part of being in a trio is that it was just easier to manage. Yeah. Um, But the kinds of songs that I tend to make almost always require two guitars.
1: Yes. Yeah. You've got a really, I, I don't know if it's, you've got a definite style that's a little bit angular at times but but also riffy i don't know a little bit more of a of a a rock stonesy kind of
2: it's always been like that i mean that's always been my interest so if um i feel like now like now today now Mm -hmm. i'm finally trying to play the music that i really love
0: Mm.
2: as opposed to just kind of i don't know uh just kind of going along with what i thought i should have been. i don't i don't know how to explain it but
1: can you just des- describe a minute how you're getting your tone i'm getting my tone yes so, I mean, Be- because in- I, I, it sounds to me like sometimes i feel like i'm hearing almost like a like a layered like almost an arch arch top acoustic in what guitar tones
2: in which recording
1: oh uh the the 2002 um so that, those so those like the
2: guitar was a uh jaguar and the amp was a top hat okay which is sort of a modeled on a fox ac30 okay so uh-
1: not what uh, I expected.
2: The that's what, but I mean, if we were in the studio, we we're probably using whatever is there. Okay, well. so mix it up as much as possible, and then the acoustic would have been—I don't even know what acoustic I had back then.
1: Just a good, just acoustic. Um, tuning wise, yeah,
2: uh, no, straight normal tuning.
1: Really? Yeah. It's because it's got almost a heavy at times i swore I, I swore that it sounded like you guys were tuned a half or a whole step down so now it is now it's all tuned down a whole step okay
2: but back in mike city uh mike city sons yeah uh, no uh, i don't i'm to i'm going through all the songs no all
1: of those yeah that not, not there's no weird tunings okay I guess you were writing songs, which were maybe would have been heat miser songs, but you just kept them. And then you d- eventually decided to carve out a new name with your new players. And uh, right,
2: Well, yeah. So it was, um, it was all just kind of not very well thought out, honestly. Um, I just kept writing songs with the idea that they could be heat miser songs. If we were going to, make another record. And if not, then they were going to be in my second band. And so um, I also had to, Virgin had like the right of first refusal on whatever any of us did after Heatmiser. So I sent them a tape of some songs and I just put number two on it as in this is my second band.
0: Looks like a Door slam. I don't know where your memory goes. To some loose attachments that mean less instead. When you ask me to accept, you're already dead. You paid for your protection. prisoner of a made up mind. The wrong kind of attention. The only part of it that's kind. A dead bone with loose hold. The goes up from blue to black. I've never felt more helpless when you say I'm gone. Close your eyes.
1: That, that's twice. the name that's stuck. It's stuck, yeah. So the first number two album was in ninety nine. Yep. Yeah. Did that group tour?
2: National tour, yeah. So that we got on a national tour with Elliot. Thanks. So he he um, he took us on tour, and uh, which is something we would just never have been able to do on our own, right? Um, so that was the big tour for that record, um, and then. But for the most part, number two is pretty small potatoes. You know, like we didn't um, uh, mostly just played in the Pacific Northwest, California. Um, but yeah, most of number besides the the gigs we did with Elliot and occasionally with um, some friends who were in much bigger bands, we just mainly played the West Coast.
1: Uh, So after a couple of releases, what ended up happening with uh, number two?
2: Well, it just, it just, um, I kind of wanted to learn how to do other things. Like playing in a band, I'd been doing it by then for 10 years. and you know, by the time the second number two record didn't sell as much as the first one and the first one barely sold. So we didn't, there was, you know, it was so much work for, uh, wasn't making a living off it, was putting all of my time into it. Everybody was putting all their time into it. And it was just kind of got to be a drag and um, wanted to do other things. And I, I was also really lonely. Like I wasn't in a relationship and didn't have time for it. Didn't even, um, didn't know how to find a better job or whatever. And so it just took a break from it and, Suddenly, other parts of my life got way better. Yeah, and um, and then I got really successful as an editor because of my music background. And then it was
1: then there just wasn't time to play music. And then you relocate to New York. Yeah, very good. Yeah, Uh, you know, at a certain point, if 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 you don't get beyond a certain point. And after doing it so long sometimes it's time to shake things up and think about something else
2: for sure and this you know it has to come from uh, a place of the kind of music that I want to play is I want it to be thrilling Mm -hmm. I want it to be I want to feel like I'm levitating I want to get goosebumps because it because it's uh, like the music that I love listening to.
1: Is it a personal fulfillment that, you know, when you're you get the endorphin rush of having something that I made it and I love the way it is and it's for me?
2: Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's exactly what it's like. I mean, when I was growing up, I had to work on a, a farm every summer. In North Dakota. Hmm. And it, it, uh, I found it really oppressive. Um, because it was such a flat, vast landscape that it felt like you could never escape it. But what was really, what was the thing that I enjoyed the most on the farm was listening to the radio and um, they just had, it was just normal AOR radio. So if they played something good, it was few and far between, but when they would play something that me and my brothers would all really like, it was like, we were set free. And it I'll never forget that like the, to me, Rock music means freedom mm-hmm. from drudgery and from, from inescapable situations, you know? Like, that's the escape. And it, when music, when, when certain kinds of songs always do it for me, I, I listen to it, I put it on my headphones, I go for a walk and I feel like I'm levitating, you know? Like it, I feel like I'm being propelled, like the energy moves me. And that, I love that. Mm-hmm. And that's what I realized I was missing when I stopped playing it for a long time. Mm-hmm. I missed feeling that way with music so we just started doing it again
0: oh, no
1: with with it, new new friends, new music friends or this is the original lineup of number two. same lineup, okay.
2: There is two different lineups. Gilly quit after the first record and Jim Tulstra was the bass player for the second record. Um and now the record that we're working on now is with Gilly
1: and Ball. Okay. Um, but everyone ended up in New York. Nope, they're in Portland. Oh, okay.
2: It's super hard to do. <laughs> it's like the most impossible fucking thing to even try, which is not play guitar for 15 years and then try <laughs> to be in a band living across the country. Yeah. It's almost impossible. But we we managed to put out a single.
1: Yeah. So that came out in 2020. Uh, it's like a single with a B-side or a bonus track. yep. Whatever you call that. The B-side. Okay. Um, did Was that recorded prior to pandemic? Yeah. So that
2: was recorded in November of 2019. And we got it fully mixed by a few months later. And I made the video and we turned it all in at the end of February, 2020. And because of the manufacturing process on a vinyl record takes four fucking months. Minimum. uh, Right. Um, It came out in June of 2020. So right. In
1: the middle of a pandemic. All right. Did, was that recorded in person together, or did you do like a yeah, no, Dropbox drop kind of it, thing?
2: No, no, no. That it was all that was a hundred percent done before we even heard of COVID.
1: And the well, last, but just because of the long distance situation.
2: Oh no! I would fly to Portland.
1: Okay. I
2: would fly to Portland, and we would rehearse for these like marathon stretches, and then okay. go and then I would fly home and then go back and record, come back. And we finished like another seven songs in March of 2020. And I got back to New York and a week later it was locked down.
1: Are you making demos like at a home studio and sending tracks to them to learn? Or are you like waiting Uh, and? doing it all at once. Yeah, we were doing
2: that. I I can just record in Logic on my laptop, which is what I'm doing. And um, we, uh, you know, we'd demo stuff and then send it to them. And then I would go there and we would work it out and make it Mm a band song rather than just one person in a bedroom song.
1: Do you try to get the recording done as soon as possible to like kind of capture that new energy or do you do multiple marathon rehearsals well,
2: so we're trying to figure it out because sometimes it works to learn the song and go in and and record it and sometimes it really doesn't like it songs have to develop bands have to develop like all my favorite bands developed over a long period of time. Heat Miser developed. So, and it's actually a process that I wasn't aware of when I was younger and in bands. I just thought (laughs) if, if it, if it didn't sound amazing right away, then it was like my fault or something. Yeah. But all artists have to have time to develop. And so, we're sort of going through a, that process right now, where we did basics for seven songs. I came home, we went into lockdown, and so I built a studio in Connecticut in a boathouse and did vocals and some guitar overdubs. Months, nice. you know, just on my laptop yep. with I had two mics, but I had lots of time and. So we worked out, so some of it worked, sounds great. And then some of it, because we've got all this time and we can sit with the tracks and actually go back to them after a long break. Some of them just need to be developed a little bit more, Mm -hmm. just played. And it's kind of, I, I don't think anyone's parts are wrong or anything. It's just that it just doesn't sound like the band the energy could be a little better. Are you self-releasing this now? No, so we're putting it. There's this Portland record label called Jealous Butcher. Okay. Um, they they put out the they so the number two stuff got re-released. The first no memory, and number two got re-released by a Portland record label called Jackpot, which is also a record store. Mm-hmm. And then what does good luck bring? The second record was re-released by Jealous Butcher, and they uh, they also have the band Eyelids. Do you know who they are? At all? I I do not. Okay, um, he he puts out tons of stuff. Ton. He re-released all of the Team Dresch stuff. Um, who else? Uh, I I'm blanking, but he's got a gigantic roster of.
1: So let me ask you a question. Yeah. what's the advantage of working with a label like that, like a uh, like not a non major, like a even if it's like kind of a, a niche local label or, or something, uh, versus doing it yourself these days with Bandcamp and well, uh, Limited Run Vinyl and question
2: um, because it's an enormous expense on the part of the band and then you give up half of it <laughs> and the label gets paid
1: first, gets paid back first. Right. So, um, but it's, it sounds, it sounds like you work with labels for all of your yes. output. So there must be, you get well, some, I guess that you get the family aspect and maybe some, built-in PR or?
2: Right. So there are, there are things that just, um, well, for one thing, I have a day job. Right. (laughs) I, I want to write songs and I want to play live and I want to make videos and I want to make record covers. But I don't want to do much else. I kind of can't do much else. That's about all that I can do and still, like, have an income, make make a living, you know. That takes up all my time, actually. Um, So now you also need to develop a social media online um, file. Yeah. Um, So there's that which the band is responsible for and which I'm sort of learning how to do. Um, But I'm pretty grumpy about it because it's just one more fucking thing that we got to make, you know? And then, um, but then like a record label manufactures something, distributes it, gets it put up into, uh, you know, gets it onto all the platforms that it needs to go to. They, they have connections with stores and um, other bands. You know, it's just, a, it's just a way to connect, have a bigger set of connections,
1: really. So is the label waiting for the completion of this next batch or are you still kind of figuring it out? Well, they're just waiting for it.
2: It's just one guy, Rob Jones. He's okay. just he's waiting for it, but it, uh, I mean, you know, he's, it's, it's really small potatoes, <laughs> you know, like we, if we make, I would like to make a record vinyl, um, We'll probably press a few hundred of them and it'll hopefully break even. But that's, that's what we're talking about. Right. Um, And then the rest of it is just going to be digital.
1: Yeah. I'm I'm very familiar with that level. Uh, So I I got back into playing music in I think 2014 after um, almost a decade away and um, having the most fun ever because there's not, any pressure and oh, right. So I've been self-releasing everything and pressing up, you know, 150 copies or things like that. But I've, you know, I've Great. got I've got a whole corner of the house stacked of
2: Are you like, selling them?
1: Barely. Yeah, barely. Um the best one we did was this in 2020 we did a um a vinyl release and um we did a Kickstarter which helped a lot. We did some special premiums on the Kickstarter that mm-hmm. brought in extra, uh, you know, rather than just a $25 copy of the vinyl, we had like um, some special like splatter color kind of things and right. uh, other like levels that really helped a lot. We did um, a private show, outdoor private show as one of our incentives, you know, uh-huh. that 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 helped with the cost, but um, I'm still sitting on about half of them but we're but because of the premiums we on that one particular project um i got reimbursed i'm also bankrolling it so because i also have a real day job
0: but right. uh
1: yeah
2: yeah it's i mean yeah vinyl is a is a it is a black hole for money
1: <laughs> right takes up space in your closet it weighs a lot to ship, uh-huh. but it is fun to uh, have to sell at shows. Yeah. So when the pandemic is over, are you going to do any actual, you're going to do maybe some coast, uh, not coast to coast, but some shows on, on West coast and some shows on East coast, or you're going to take your vacation days and do a week tour? Or well,
2: I'm freelance.
1: So I, um, I have a,
2: very flexible schedule as long as like, I'm not totally broke. Right. Um, but yeah, we, we had shows scheduled for this single release that we had to cancel, um, which was really sucked <laughs> cause um, it, you know, got it all set up, got all this momentum built up. And then
1: where were some of those? That
2: was just in Portland and Seattle. Okay. You know, the idea was that we were just going to just do one thing at a time and see what opportunities came as a result. And it was surprising how fast things just kind of fell into place. Mm -hmm. It was nice. And we didn't, we don't have big expectations for this at all. It's just to have fun. Yeah. Just to play the music that, We want to listen to and want to play. That's as fun as possible. Life's too short, you know, so It stuff was just kind of clicking into place um, with the help of lots of friends who were um, Helping us for
1: free and uh, And that's cool. Are are you also going to uh, do music videos for some of these songs?
2: Well, there is one. I did one for uh, the single. I can send it to you if you like.
1: Yeah. What do you edit in? Premiere?
2: Uh, No. Final Cut.
1: Final Cut, yeah.
2: So, yeah, now we're just trying to figure out how to create a new record and see what happens when we make it.
1: Who is creating your artwork?
2: Um, So... I work with, um, I got this photographer and director named Sam Higginson who lives in the UK. Um, He's amazing. He's been shooting stuff for us. I have friends that I work with um, in my day job. They're uh, graphic designers. And um, colorists uh, and um, producers who help, like um, who, help, who give really good feedback. So there's, um, but mostly I'm putting it together and then and then getting help with what I can't do. Mm-hmm. So it's um, a bunch of friends.
1: Have you given yourself a, a deadline on completing the record?
2: The, the album album? Album album. Yeah. So that was supposed to be done about a month ago. <laughs> and there's, uh, you know, largely because of the pandemic, it just ground to a halt. But... Also, it was just a lot fucking harder than I thought it was gonna be. Mm. I thought it was gonna be really hard, but it was much harder than that. <laughs> Shit. So, and it it was hard because you know, you I'm in this boathouse finishing songs, and it's sort of like what happened with the first t miser record where we we got it done and then we heard it back and we're like oh, that's what we sound like, Mm -hmm. you know? So, um, but also like I stopped for so long that it's, it's, it's not, it doesn't come back instantaneously. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: It takes a lot of work to get it back a lot, but it's happening. It's coming back and it's going into a direction that I um, always wanted to go in and just never did.
1: So now, how about lyric wise? Do you feel like you're on a different um, a, a, a different mind space now or are you well, still sure. kind of consistent from before? I, um, lyrically... Um, that's
2: the that's one of the hardest parts and uh, I would I would just like to get to a place where I feel free to um, where I just feel free and I don't when I sit down to write I don't always feel free Um, and so it's kind of like I don't know, like learning how to meditate or something. It's,
0: mm.
2: you know, it's a, um, I'm trying to learn how to do it, in a in a, like a healthier way than when I was in my twenties doing it, um, where it's really honest and clear. And, uh, but honest. So there's no bullshit. There's no like, um, no bullshit.
1: Yeah. Well, hardest thing to do in the
2: world. (laughs) It's so hard, but it's really exciting when it works. Yeah. I mean,
1: you you can, you're, you're, it's your project, you know, you should, embrace the freedom that you have to make it what you want right so yeah i think you can do it and um i i don't know i i really have been enjoying listening to the number two uh as well as kind of going back and reflecting on 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 the heat miser but uh yeah I, i'm gonna be paying attention because i want to hear this new record awesome and uh, have you heard the new single yet Yes, I have. Yes. And that's what I'm saying. I can kind of hear like a curve of, well, I mean, I guess it's because like you just said, you went away from a while and came back, but there's a whole curve of, uh, the songwriting style and the sounds. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah.
2: I want it to rip,
1: you know, I want it to just,
2: (laughs) I want it to be so thrilling that it's just it makes you drive fast. <laughs> you don't even know. Like you just, oh my god,
1: we're going 120. I have to slow down now. Yeah. Do you have uh, a title? Do you have a working title, or is that you're going to hold uh, back well, on that? Yeah, I do,
2: but I'm not gonna
1: yeah hold back on that. Know, yep.
2: Let that one out yet because it's just it 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 does keep changing. Um, and. There's, I have to do some, we just had a meeting yesterday, actually. Our first group meeting since, since the pandemic started really. And um, so we're going to try to record the end of March, if it's even possible. So I got to come up with three new songs. There's tons in development, but nothing finished yet. And that is what's going to, round out the collection and that's really where the title is going to shake out so that's why i don't want to discuss it too much because i just don't know
1: yeah well this this sounds very exciting neil i want to tell you thank you for coming on again thank Uh, you i've I've really enjoyed our conversation i hope we can uh, maybe stay in touch and i'm uh looking forward to hearing uh the new music
2: Awesome, John. Thank you very much. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk and to listen to our music. Thank you. And good luck with yours.
0: There is man Now what's your plan? You got your way in Now you're drowning Burn through your cash but you can't change your past, you left the party, started shouting, God, girl. no explanation, the pain in your heart's like a knife, and all love pouring out That party's over, a way at you, you that wasn't right. Not saying goodbye Not saying goodbye Not saying goodbye Not saying goodbye
1: Monk Production.